Hello, 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 and welcome back to Trennis Magnus Jabs Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and I take... There's no fixed release schedule for Trennis Magnus Jabs Reality, but every once in a while I get a little bit of a bee in my bonnet. There is something I want to talk about, and I just feel like releasing a show... I shouldn't say arbitrarily, but I just fucking feel like releasing a show. And honestly, this is... It, it's usually stuff that really wouldn't make for all that good a standalone episode of Trinus Magnus Punches Reality, which is to say, my main gig. So, I do what, what I affectionately call Trinus Magnus Jabs Reality, Kind of as a sort of a dumping ground for stuff that's really not good enough or long enough or whatever enough to really be an episode unto itself. So there you go. So today's episode of Trennis Magnus Jabs Reality, it's basically going to be a little bit of a reaction to the Kingdom Come crossover that was done. Well, it started on Michael Bailey's views from the long box. And it was uh, continued on the Darkness to Life podcast by Emily and, and uh, Professor Allen. And basically, they did, they did this sort of a, this really neat sort of two-part show. It's all about the, the Mark Wade Alex Ross miniseries, Kingdom Come. Now, I did my own show about Kingdom Come ages and ages and ages ago, and I don't really care to revisit that, necessarily. More what I guess I want to talk about is the stuff they said that, honestly, I probably could have written an email and put all that stuff in there, but I don't know, this just seems a little bit more publicly accessible. So, and it's also, guys, I gotta tell you, it's probably gonna be a little bit longer as far as, you know, feedback is concerned. And this is something that, for all I know, Emily and Professor Allen, maybe maybe they don't want to devote uh, however long this uh, this little helping of Trinus Magnus Jabs reality. They don't want to waste that much of an episode of Dorkness to Light basically on me. So, I don't know. I'd like to think I'm doing them a favor. And honestly, I mean, because of the fact that I'm going to be sort of responding to other podcasters. Basically, guys, I do need to make it clear that this isn't this isn't really meant to be like a slam or an indictment or a disagreement or anything like that. So, you know, I usually improvise these these episodes as I go. So, I honestly don't know what I'm going to say at the time that I'm speaking to you right now as I'm recording all of this stuff. I have no idea what I'm about to say. So let me just start off with the preface that none of this is really intended to be, you know, a slam or an insult or any kind of fucking stupid bullshit like that. It's really not. It's just basically me talking about my reaction to somebody else's podcast. That's all. All right. And the reason I want to start there is because it may have been on Facebook or it may have been in one of his podcast episodes. I honestly don't remember at this point, but I do remember that it came up somewhere that Professor Allen is basically doing a giant read-through of the entire Left Behind 
series of novels. Now, for those of you who don't know what Left Behind is, I'm really not going to get too much into that here. All right? You have Google. Fucking use it. But what I do want to say is that, you know, this is one of those things that kind of struck me as kind of interesting. Because, you know, of all people, you know, Professor Allen doing a read-through of, uh, of Left Behind... I don't know. That just seemed a little bit interesting, you know? And actually, let me just put all of this on pause and say that one of the things that I've decided Trinus Magnus Jab's reality might be kind of good for is suspending a lot of the conventional rules of engagement that go with Trinus Magnus Punch's reality. Maybe putting some of that stuff out there a little bit more, you know? Maybe all of these rules I have that guide me whenever I do Trinus Magnus Punch's reality, maybe that stuff gets suspended a little bit whenever I do Trinus Magnus Jab's reality. I like that, you know? So, yes, this is kind of a way of saying I'm going to be talking about religion, and if the idea of that bothers you, well, tough toenails, really. I'm still going to talk about religion. So, anyway. Now... The idea, like I say, of Professor Allen doing a read-through of the Left Behind series, if I'd never read the Left Behind series, that would actually kind of, that would probably inspire me to read the Left Behind series. But since I have, actually I haven't read the entire series. I've read the main series, put it that way. So the fact that I have read the main series, at least, this just seems like a very interesting choice for Professor Allen. And again, I'm not criticizing or doing anything fucking retarded like that. I'm just expressing an opinion, okay? But ages and ages and ages ago, right? It was like... I want to say it was like the fall of 2008. Something like that. Like, end of August, beginning of September 2008. You know, around there. Houston, which is to say my hometown, got the shit shellacked out of it by Hurricane Ike. And this is a pretty, this, this was a pretty intensive hurricane, guys. It basically hit the Gulf Coast. I don't mean like just Houston. I mean the fucking Gulf Coast. And I'm told it petered out somewhere around Chicago that's how fucking strong this thing was, right? And so downtown Houston, if you could just envision it in your mind, it looked sort of like fucking Beirut. You know, all of the damage and the downed uh, power lines and there were trees. Because Houston, you know, I find that when people think of Texas, they instantly want to envision everything as desert. And guys, Houston is one big fucking forest. You know, hell, there's a suburb of Houston uh, just north of here. It's called the Woodlands. And guys, it lives up to its name. It's like wall-to-wall trees out there. We're talking like these giant fucking trees that are like 70, 80, or, or even taller than that, feet high. I mean, we're just fucking huge trees, right? Houston is covered in trees. It's tree country, right? So when a when a, a hurricane of Hurricane Ike's magnitude comes to town, yeah, shit's getting knocked over. You know, there was this one house I saw near my parents' house. It got fucking bisected, literally cut right in half by this, like, 60-foot-tall pine tree they had, had being the operative word, 
they had in their front yard, it just smashed their house dead center, right? And looked like it went through the second floor and crashed down even into the first floor. And how the hell you repair a house after that kind of damage, I don't know. All I know is that fucking a lot of destruction unfolded, and that's really the point of it. In fact, I, the day after the hurricane, I actually drove to my townhouse just to take a look at stuff and just see where the damage was. Just because of the fact that I knew that a hurricane was coming to town, I decided, you know what, I'm not going to be a hero on this. I'm going to retreat to my parents' house, and if if we're all going to die, well, at least we're all going to die together, right? So, I fell back to my parents' house, or as President Bush popularized the phrase, I hunkered down. It, you know, it's kind of strange to think. You know, the, the, the expression hunkered down used to mean something else. And now it means, well, basically dig in because shit is about to get real outside of your doorstep. You know, it's just, it's kind of funny. But anyway, whatever. So whatever happened, happened. The hurricane came to town, tore shop on the place, and pretty much... It would be safe to say that Houston was pretty well devastated from all of that. And crucially, we were without power for something. And I say we, I mean, specifically, my parents were without power for something like two weeks or something like that. I mean, it was pretty fucking bad. And guys, I mean, look, it's one thing to be without power in Houston, you know, like during the latter portion of October or the beginning of November and stuff, you know, like when shit is starting to cool down, like noticeably. But to be without power during the end of August slash the beginning of September, that's a big fucking problem, guys. I mean, this place is fucking humid. We are so close to the coast that, guys, if it if it's like really hot outside and then it rains for just a couple of minutes it, and then you go outside, it's like a fucking sauna out there. Right? So, I mean, it's just really uncomfortable. So, to be without power in that kind of humidity, that's double plus non-good. So, anyway, I'm spending a little bit too much time trying to set the scene here, so allow me just dive in and say we were without power. And I was at my parents' house, like I say. So, that should serve as the background a little bit for me to let you guys in on the fact that, yes, I have, in fact, read the Left Behind series, right? And that's one of the reasons why, like I say, it kind of strikes me a little bit interesting that Professor Allen is working through what, to all outward appearances, it sounds like a fucking epic read-through of the Left Behind series. I mean, guys, it sounds like he's going to cover everything. He's reading all of it. And that is, I just did not have the fortitude uh, to read everything. But what I will say is this. I am not a fan of Left Behind, right? I'm not a fan of Left Behind as a piece of fiction. I'm just not. You know, the first, uh, like, couple of books, the way it goes in my mind, like the first book or the first two books, maybe the first three books... They're actually not that bad, you know, as I guess as far as a sort of a, like a political thriller is concerned. It's really not that bad, you know, 
It's not the greatest thing you've ever read. I mean, <clears throat> I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's a Tom Clancy novel or anything like that, but really, not that bad, you know? It's, it's readable, put it that way. But there comes a point in Left Behind where, if you're familiar with the story, there's a pretty fucking big tonal shift in the story, and it basically... It, it kind of zags after a certain point, right? And after that, the genre necessarily has to change from sort of a political suspense type of book or a political thriller into this is a straight-up religious, supernatural adventure story. And guys, I don't think Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins are very good at that type of writing, at that type of storytelling, you know? They're just not. And the best example I can think of for all of that is to say that, guys, imagine reading the entire book of Revelation. Literally. And that's pretty much what Left Behind as a series is all about. It's a very literal depiction of the events shown in the book of Revelation. And so, you know, just from a from a literary standpoint, I found Left Behind to be kind of untenable. And again, triple fucking underline this part. I'm not bashing on anybody. I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm not telling anybody they're wrong. I'm not second-guessing Professor Allen or his decision to read whatever the hell he feels like reading whenever the hell he feels like reading it. I'm just saying that that particular book series is not for me. So, it's not for me from the standpoint of fiction, from the standpoint of writing. This is just not my bag, guys. It's just not. But there's another level that Left Behind operates on, and... That is the level of, how shall I put it, speculative religious fiction. Now guys, I've given you a little bit of my backstory from a religious standpoint in previous episodes, so for some of you, this may be a little bit repetitive, and for that I apologize, but here it is anyway. I was raised not just Christian, specifically I was raised Protestant, right? And in fact, I was not just raised Protestant, I was raised Churches of Christ. And for those of you who don't know, the Churches of Christ as a denomination, they're not exactly your garden variety evangelical type of Christian. You know, that's just not who they are, you know. And the day came, I want to say I was about 18 or so, but the day came when I decided, you know, I don't know what's out there. I don't know if I really believe in Christianity or what. I just know that if there's any truth to religion in general and Christianity in particular, there's got to be more to it than the churches of Christ. And so it was that I left the churches of Christ. And honestly, I was actually the first in my immediate family to do so. As far as I know, everybody has left. I don't think there's a single member of my family, be it my parents or any of my brothers or anybody, I don't think anybody has stuck around the Church of Christ. So I'd like to think I was the first one out the door. 
Who knows? <clears throat> Needless to say, though, I'm not going to give you like all the blood and guts of my, you know, of what the Christians call my testimony. I'm not going to give you that. This is neither the time nor the place. I'm just going to say that my background started off Protestant, but the day came. And guys, if you're listening to this and you consider yourself to be Protestant, or at the very least, you consider yourself to be a Christian and non-Catholic, this next part, it may strike some of you as kind of unusual, but just keep in mind that you don't have to believe what I believe. You just have to accept that I believe it. And the day came when I gave the Catholic Church a very serious review right? Because I was raised with, I guess, the, the a priori assumption that the Catholic Church, the Catholics, are wrong. Period. End of story, right? There is no version of this where they end up being shown to be right. So it doesn't really matter what you believe as far as religion is concerned, or at least as far as Christianity is concerned. Just fucking don't be Catholic. That's the thing that matters, right? That was kind of the background that I came from, right? And so, for some of you listening to this who are Catholic, this may seem kind of extreme and, you know, well, whatever, that's just, that's the environment I was raised in, you know? What can you do? But, the day, like I say, the day came when I finally did start giving the Catholics and their beliefs and all of their teachings and whatnot, I gave them some very serious study. And what I decided, and guys, if you're listening to this and you consider yourself an evangelical Christian or non-denominational or just fucking whatever, and what I'm about to say bothers you, well, guys, like I say, just you don't have to believe it yourself. You just have to accept that I believe it. And what I realized is, you know what? The Catholics are fucking right. Everything that they say, everything that they teach, no matter how crazy it may seem, no matter how insane, there's an incredible logic to it that I find, or at least that I found, and continue to find, completely irrefutable, right? And so I'm kind of of the opinion, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. And, well, the Catholics, they've been around all this time, and for various reasons, I just, like I say, I found their doctrines, their beliefs, their teachings, and so forth, extremely persuasive, you know? And I'm going to circle back to this in a minute, but it's important that you remember that at the time that I read Left Behind, I was not Catholic. I was... Southern Baptist, and I was happy at that time to be Southern Baptist. Now, Left Behind is apocalyptic fiction, right? And one of the reasons why I read it was because, guys, there was no power. There was, there was no way for me to really go to work. There was nothing to do. And I'm of the opinion that the human mind will do just about anything to keep itself occupied, right? So... Well, I decided I can read Left Behind, and if nothing else, that's going to keep me occupied, so that's what I did. Now, as far as, like, end-timey prophecy stuff is concerned, you know, as a Southern Baptist, it was one of those things that I just didn't really think a whole lot about. I didn't really read Revelation a whole lot. There was just a lot of stuff that I just didn't really think about. 
And so before reading Left Behind, I figured, oh, well, I guess this is going to be a book series that's all about Revelation and the stuff that's going to happen at the end of the world. It's probably going to play out more or less like whatever's in Left Behind, more or less, right? That was, I guess, the assumption I made. Having not really read a whole lot of Revelation and having read none of Left Behind, that was basically the baggage that I brought to it, right? And then I read Left Behind. (laughs) And then I read Revelation. And guys, it needs to be said here that I don't know if when or how the world is going to come to an end. I'm just pretty sure it's not going to be like that. You know, I'm not trying to criticize Tim LaHaye or Jerry Jenkins. I'm sure they wrote that series in good faith and they were as honest with the material as they knew how to be. And guys, I'm also sure that the reality of the situation is that I just disagree with Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. I just don't find that persuasive as as like an interpretive lens for Left Behind or the Book of Revelation or how all of these things are going to come to an end, okay? Guys, it may well be that I'm wrong, okay? It's not like I've got some kind of secret decoder ring that I know how everything's going to play out and listen to me because I got all the answers. Guys, I don't know shit. All I know is that whatever is whatever li- lie lays in store in mankind's future, I'm pretty sure it will look nothing at all like left behind, okay? I don't believe in raptures or marks of beasts or that kind of stuff. I just I just don't fucking buy it, all right? There are very valid, very lucid and very, I think, persuasive reasons why all of this is. And I ultimately ended up having that I had to kind of figure all this stuff out for myself because I no sooner read Left Behind that I found myself in a position where I was going to have to teach at my old Southern Baptist Church. I was going to have to teach a series on basically the book of Revelation, you know? And in order to do that, I was going to have to figure out just what the fuck does this stuff even mean? Because guys, if you've never read the book of Revelation, I really don't know how to describe it to you. So all I can say is read it. It's interesting. And so what I ultimately decided was that Like I say, whatever it is that I believe about the book of Revelation, it looks nothing at all like Left Behind. And what I eventually settled on, and even now I'm not sure how much I buy into even this, but what I eventually kind of settled on was this idea that, look guys, it's okay to not know stuff, but if you must apply some kind of interpretive model, sorry, interpretative God, I'm just tripping all over my words here. Guys, I'm recording this basically after a long day of work, so if you hear me tripping over my words, just forgive me. But if you have to attribute some kind of interpretive model to Left Behind, the one that I find most persuasive is... It's a it's basically a theological system called partial preterism, right? And again, if you don't know what that is... Google is your friend. So that was basically what I taught this small group at that Southern Baptist church that I went to, right? 
which needless to say, basically partial preterism in a nutshell, basically what it does is it teaches that all of this stuff that was written as prophecy at the time that the New Testament was written, that stuff was mostly, and that's an important word to say, mostly fulfilled. Ages and ages and ages ago. Long ago, and it's done. It's not something that you really need to worry too much about. This stuff, to whatever degree you must literalize it, it happened long ago, right? And again, looked nothing at all like Left Behind. But basically, like I say, look up partial preterism, do some research, because I'm not going to talk about it here, other than to say, guys, number one, I don't know what the fuck Revelation is supposed to mean. Number one. But number two, I'm pretty sure it looks nothing at all like Left Behind. And number three, it's okay to say, guys, I don't fucking know, but if that's not good enough, partial preterism. That's my interpretive model, right? So... All of this is a long way of saying that I find it very interesting that Professor Allen is reading the Left Behind series. And I, like I say, I'm not second-guessing that, not questioning that, not insulting that, not slamming on that, not bagging on that, not being in any way, shape, form, or fashion negative about that. I'm just saying I find it interesting. So, uh, actually, you know what? I want to get a sip off of my tea here, so just stand by. For those of you keeping score, by the way, this is blueberry-flavored tea. This is um, The brand of tea is called Two If By Tea. And I must say, when I talked about this on Facebook, the reaction was nowhere near as negative as I was expecting it to be, which I found very surprising. Welcome, but very surprising. So anyway, now, just to kind of... I guess, put a bow around this whole sort of Catholic thing. Guys, one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons that I like Catholicism, honestly, a big part of this actually comes down to the Mass, right? And specifically the Latin Mass. There's something that's just so elegant and beautiful and refined and ancient about the Latin Mass, the traditional Latin Mass. I don't mean just a mass in Latin. I mean specifically the traditional Latin mass, right? There's something that's just so elegant about that, you know? And that's, not, like I say, liturgy is not the only reason that I joined the Catholic Church. I mean, I think that's a completely valid reason, but that's not the only reason I joined. Like I say, there are certain truth claims that they make that ultimately I find very logical. And so because of that, you know, it seemed, it just seemed like the right thing to do, you know, joining the Catholic Church. So that's what I've done, and I haven't looked back. And like I say, a great big part of this, <clears throat> it's not exclusively due to the Latin Mass, but it's, that was a factor. You know, I like the Mass in general, but I really like the Latin Mass. But I, I, I'm kind of a liturgy guy anyway. One of the things I discovered when I really started considering uh, you know, just Christianity at large. And, you know, what is Christianity? You know, what is this? What do I believe? You know, one of the things that I kind of 
that I'd become less and less comfortable doing as a Southern Baptist was kind of applying this sort of literalistic type of interpretive lens to the entire Bible. There are certain things, guys, that prima facie are meant to be taken very literally. There are certain other things, though, that, you know, maybe, maybe we're not supposed to interpret that on a strictly literal basis, you know? There's truth, but not necessarily literal fact. A good example, assuming revelation is too touchy an issue for you, and by the way, I would understand if that's how you feel, but assuming revelation is a little bit too touchy an issue for you, how about the book of Genesis, you know, which I believe tells us truth, even if it doesn't necessarily tell us literal fact, you know? I think you're at perfect liberty if you want to interpret the book of Genesis literally. But just on a personal level, I don't know that I buy that, you know, a literal reading. You know what? Maybe it is literal. I have no idea. But I just don't think that book is necessarily meant to be read strictly literally, you know? So it tells me truth, but I don't know that it's telling me literal fact, you know? And one of the things that I kind of like about the Catholic Church is, you know, that's okay, you know? You don't have to necessarily take everything in the Bible, literally. There are certain things they want you to take on a little bit more of an allegorical basis. There are certain things they want you to take on a little bit more of a literal basis, but that's perfectly reasonable. Every other sect of Christianity that you can mention, there are certain things they want you to take literally. There are certain other things they want you to interpret allegorically, and never the twain shall meet, but by numbers, no more, and certainly no more often, than does the Catholic Church. So what's it worth, you know? And the things that they want me to take literally, I feel very comfortable taking literally. The things they want me to interpret more as metaphor, I'm perfectly happy to interpret as metaphor. Or at least they allow me. Put it that way. They allow me to interpret it on a little bit more of a metaphorical level as opposed to a literal level. You know, whereas certain, as, you know, certain other elements of Christianity and various elements of specifically Protestant Christianity they sometimes tend to a little bit more of a rigidly literal model than I'm at least comfortable with, you know? So, whatever. Now I'm going to take a drag off my e-cig. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's the stuff right there. Mm. Nicotine. The finest thing in the world. Yes, indeed. So... Anyway, now, I guess to kind of move away a little bit from the religious stuff, one of the things that Michael Bailey said, and again, not attacking, not criticizing, not slamming, not insulting, not bashing, not anything, just commenting in a friendly way, one of the things that Michael Bailey said was that the, the idea of Superman as Christ figure, as this, that's a literary technique, right? There are certain characters that you can use in fiction, and there's a literary technique, it's called a Christ figure, where you use a fictional character and you apply a couple of Jesus-isms onto it, right? 
And God knows this has been applied to Superman at various times. And, you know, Bailey actually made the remark that that really only applies to one element of Superman when you really think about it. But honestly, he has more in common with Moses. Now, this is one of those things that, because of the fact that it's an opinion, you cannot be wrong about it, and you cannot be right about it. You're basically interpreting the material as you see fit. Now, as the way I see Superman, I mean, I don't mind Superman as a Christ figure. That's not necessarily my preferred version of Superman. That's not my internal version, you know, the headcanon version. That's really not how I see Superman, you know? I enjoy Superman as as a Christ figure. I, I have nothing against those types of stories. I just, I don't think that's the only way to skin the cat. But one of the things that Bailey said, usual disclaimer, not criticizing, not bashing, not criticizing, not slamming, not insulting, not slamming, not anything, just commenting, is that the model of Moses actually applies more readily to Superman. And, you know, Bailey, I think I, I, I kind of need to disagree with you there. <clears throat> I don't think the Moses model applies any better than the Christ figure model or any worse. I mean, they're, they're both equally good fits. I mean, strictly by numbers, you know, Superman only has that really that one thing in common with, with Moses, you know, he was sent down a river in a sense by his biological parents, but that's it. There's not really in the Superman canon, Superman, he doesn't, basically, I guess what I'm saying is there's not a version of the story where Superman goes off and meets the Jews, you know, and lives with the Jews, right? That just doesn't happen. Superman lives among the Gentiles for the rest of his life, right? And that's not really what happens with Moses. Moses is sent down the river. He's adopted by the Egyptians. And ultimately, he leads, he leads the Israelite people on an exodus out of Egypt. And thereafter, he lives with his people for the rest of his days, right? There's nothing specifically like that in Superman's canon, right? Superman gets sent by his biological parents to live among humans. Where he lives among humans for the rest of his days, he doesn't really lead them. He doesn't really guide them as such. I mean, I think that is ultimately his destiny, but not in the sense, not in the literal sense that Moses was doing it. You know, so on and so on and so forth. You know, there's really only that one passing similarity to Superman and Moses. And then after that, to me, the model breaks down about as quickly as Superman is Christ. So... One, I don't think really works all that much better than the others. And you know what? At least with with Superman as Christ figure, Jesus is sent by God to live among humans, whereas Superman is sent by Jarrell to live among humans. And they both live among humans for the rest of their natural days. And then that's basically it. You know, so... Honestly, guys, I mean, there is, there is, uh, basically, I, I think you can draw more straight lines between Superman as Christ figure than you can between Superman as Moses figure, all right? That's not to say that Bailey's wrong and that I'm right or that I'm wrong and Bailey's right. I'm just basically offering 
another point of view. And again, here's the same fucking disclaimer. I'm not insulting, I'm not criticizing, I'm not bashing, I'm not slamming, I'm not a, I'm not anything. I'm just expressing an opinion, okay? That's all. No offense is intended. So anyway. And that, I think, primarily is, is what I had to say about it. Now, it does need to... I, I do want to emphasize the fact that, guys, if you haven't done so, you really need to first... Listen to that to the King uh, the Kingdom Come episode of Views from the Long Box. It's tons of fun. I like it. Really enjoy it. They subject the comic book and the novel and the audio drama, so forth, all that stuff. They really do put that under the microscope from the standpoint of it being sort of comic booky superhero fiction. And that's a great episode. But you also need to if you if you like the idea of religion in art and especially in geek media you really need to listen to this episode of Dortness to Light because guys Bailey, Emily and Professor Allen bring home the fucking bacon here because this is the new covenant so we get to have bacon. They bring home the bacon guys. That is a great episode of Dortness to Light. Now I think Dortness to Light every single episode is is a masterpiece. I think they're all amazing. But even by Dorkness to Light standards, the Kingdom Come episode really is a notch above. So you guys really need to listen to the views from the long box and Dorkness to Light crossover about Kingdom Come. It's fucking great. You know? And that is... I think there are probably a couple of other things I could probably say, but I think that's pretty much it. At least as far as, like, most of what I wanted to say, because I'm kind of hungry and there's a thin crust pizza in the fridge with my name on it, so I'm going to heat that up and have me some dinner. But anyway, I think that's pretty much it for me this time around. So, bye, everybody. I'll see you for the next episode of Trinus Magnus Punches Reality. See you then.